this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. This is about the very source of reality, the very source of all that exists, the very reason for which all things consist and exist, including yourself which is in an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love from which comes forth everything that is. This is about the one true eternal God. And for those of you that are new, I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com. There's a flip book there where there is very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. And you'll notice a lot of the print is highlighted in red. And those are actually links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos from many fields of archaeology and science that expose a mastery of deception and point people towards this ultimate reality and purpose that you can have and enter into in your life if you've not already entered into it. So check that out. I also have put up there recently a video where I do introduce to people in a very integral and kind of a scientific way, the way God's gifted me uniquely in, my, in a gift of understanding, who the one true eternal God could only possibly be. So check that out there for you, those of you that are new. This message is for those who have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal, as mentioned in John 17. And I am speaking about what in the Hebrew language, in the original, in the Old Testament, is described often with the word in English would be the word Lord, which is equivalent to Yahweh in the original, meaning basically the basic essence of that meaning is the ultimate I am, the source of reality that is separate above and beyond creation. And there's often the next word that's usually the word Lord God. The word God is usually the word Elohim, meaning the Almighty's, and that is referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For God to be Almighty he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence in personage. Beyond creation as the Father. Father meaning source. In creation as the Son. Son meaning expression. The Son is the one and only full expression of the being of this ultimate perfection of love into the time and creation realm to experience it and to communicate with that. And in omnipresence as the Holy Spirit and personage. Filling all dimensions of existence in the creation realm and all planes of time. And there are at least ten or more dimensions. For, and the dimensions from the fourth to the tenth according to particle physics are more, according to mathematical analysis of particle physics, are far more superior and complex than this third 
dimension, which has been verified by many people that have died in what they have experienced. A realm far more real than this physical realm. I'm not going to get into it, but I will point out to you that I do have a book that you can purchase on the internet, recently published up there in December, which, December 2022, which is titled Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, 368 pages from the very first page to the end. And you can get it in Kindle as well. Hopefully in the near future, I will be able to get it out in audio as well. But there, I could, <laughs> the book I've written is very good. It's very interesting. It has a lot of answers way beyond the bestsellers, thorough answers, effective answers to the hardest questions and how all these different experiences that people have had when they have died, how that all can be understood and fits together into this ultimate meaning and purpose which I am talking about. What is that ultimate purpose? Is that you can have a destiny. A fulfillment which is only found in this ultimate perfection of love. Pleasures, creative pleasures, ever enlarging forever according to your own uniqueness that God created you with in fellowship with God and his myriads of creation such as the many varieties of angels and other creations that exist in heaven and of course throughout his universe that he has created. Well, I'm not going to get into that too much. The way I share these messages is I seek to speak as the oracles of God because the word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is referring to those that have come to the saving knowledge of who God is not just in their head, but they have come into that experiential relationship with God. They've been restored to fellowship with God. Well, you might be asking right now, if you're new, how do I get restored to that relationship with God? Well, some people have a misconception, a monotheistic in many cases, misconception of God that he is too great to become a human being and communicate with man. No, that's a limited conception of God. God is so great that he can communicate with what he's created. Yeah, on a little speck of a planet that's less significant than a grain of sand compared to all the grains of sands in this world. Far less significant. Yeah, and he can come on that little planet and communicate with his creation. And not only that, his love is so great that he came into this world and suffered more than you, a mere creature, and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. He became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for you so that you could repent and say words like this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Cleanse me of all my sins through your blood that was shed on the cross and your body that was broken unto death for me. Come into my life and be the center treasure of my life, for I choose to make you the central treasure of my life, of my heart, the Lord and the Savior of my life. You see, 
God's love is integrous. It is pure. It always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would obviously have a measure of corruption in it. This love is, as it were, a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to that love that freely chooses the highest lasting good. This love will not tolerate what is contrary to love. It is the opposite of corruption. In fact, it is the very destroyer of corruption. And God took that judgment upon himself. That's how great his love was. That he suffered more than you, a mere creature, so that you could choose to receive eternal life. Yes, he gave you free will. He created you with the capacity to love, not like a robot. You are the source of your own action. Therefore, you are self-responsible for your choices. So no one can blame the devil. God Blame God for creating the devil. That being was created with the capacity to love God. Every being is. The fact is, when you have the potential to choose, and that is to love, there's also potential to make choices that are corrupt, that cause a hell-contagious state of being like a black hole in outer space that is self-destructive and pulls everyone around into the same hellish state of being. And That's why we need to cry out and receive God's mercy. And he will forgive us and we can be reconciled to him and come into a closer and closer fellowship with him and have that seed, that new divine seed that we've received into our heart grow and swallow up over time all the corruption and deception within our being so that we come into a place of great liberty and joy and communion and fellowship with God. Well, I love giving an evangelistic message at the beginning of my messages, but I was stating that I am here to seek to speak as the oracles of God because in the beginning and in that verse that I quoted, that is referring to believers coming together to share what God is saying through them to each other. And in the early church, you didn't have to worry about using a mic if you were in this day and age and had mics. You didn't have to ask permission to share. When the Spirit moved on you, you spoke forth. Of course, there was an understanding. There was a certain time when people would all share. Of course, there's a certain amount of order. But you would speak forth. The spirit moved. And so I've been in a church that functioned like that. There's very few around that are filled with the Spirit of God, that are baptized or imbued with the Holy Spirit. And so when I sense the Spirit of God rising up in me and impressing upon me a certain sea thought, I didn't know what I was going to sing out or speak out, but I would open my mouth and begin to worship and be conscious of God more than anyone around, and the Spirit of God would flow forth in a beautiful song or a word. That is what you call prophecy or speaking as the oracles of God. That is why it says in Revelations 19.10, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in great reverence and humility out of love for God, we were filled with the Spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances that are basically speaking as the oracles of God or what you can say prophetic words. 
Yes, there's a refining. We're not perfect. Sometimes we get in the way. That's why the Word of God says the Word of God is as silver refined seven times. We shouldn't be calling ourselves prophets until we've come to that place of total refining before God where we know that we know that what we're saying is not us, but from God. But that's another topic I don't want to get sidetracked. I am here to share with you and what I do to facilitate speaking prophetically in this particular hour to the body of Christ is I cast lots to get the possibility of any two chapters in the Bible using two independent applications. And those two chapters then bear witness with each other by the providence of God who causes those chapters to be chosen by the casting of lot. They bear witness with each other as to the message, as to the theme that God is wanting to say by his Spirit to the churches in this particular time and hour. So I want to share with you what I've received today on Wednesday, March the 1st of 2023. But before I do, we have a song. I always choose and seek to find a worship psalm, sometimes by the casting of lot, other times God leads me in different ways by his providence to choose a song. This time it's not so much by the casting of lot. I did cast lots, but I didn't. I'm very fussy. I want the songs to be songs where there's words that can be used in the overhead projector. And I have a playlist on my site at loverealize.com, which has really high quality worship songs with the words that you can use if you can connect to the internet and play a YouTube video video through your projector. You can use them. They're beautiful, with great meaning in the words, with congregational singing, and often with flute and violin and trumpet, etc., etc. Today, the song I've chosen is from the playlist of well over 100 songs, I'm sure, by now. I haven't counted them. It is one that comes out of the great historic Welsh revival a powerful move and invasion of the Spirit of God that came into Wales in that area in the early 1900s, where people were praying and seeking God. So much so did the Spirit of God come down at that time that the presence of God came into beer pilers and people came under the convicting work of the Spirit of God and fell on their knees in repentance. There was a whole group of students in a dance hall that were dancing, and so on, well, there was a powerful meeting of revival going on somewhere, I don't know how far nearby. They all, the presence of God invaded the mother dancing, and they all ran into the church and fell on their knees with tears, crying unto God and asking for his forgiveness and cleansing. That is supernatural. All the sports and the stadiums shut down. No one was in the parlors getting drunk anymore. The police couldn't find anyone to put into jail. In fact, you can go on my website at ultimatemeaning.com and I have a slider there and you'll see one slider of a whole town in South America that was filled with jails and drunkenness. And Christians began to fast and pray three days. And then a powerful miracle of a woman that everyone knew in the town. That woman got converted. And as a result, many of these people were stunned and they started to come to the meetings and it built and built and today 
That town is totally transformed. There's no jails. They had many jails. And the farms. And the, suddenly the fruit began to become so enormous that government said would come from all around the world to see the enormous size of carrots and you know all the different types of fruit they're growing there in the land. Suddenly God blessed the land. And you can watch that video there. So this song is on the Welsh Revival, a powerful invasion of the Spirit of God that resulted in a missionary movement in the early 1900s that went around the world and reached multitudes and many savage tribes around the world as well with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you what I received today. This is the song that was one of the prominent songs in the Welsh Revival. May it melt your heart as it did theirs with the love of God.
My, I, I was just overflowing, almost like drunk with heavenly wine, you know, in the presence of God. And I sensed the presence of God earlier in the day flowing into my hands, and I'm feeling it in measure now. And so I want to say to you that I believe that's a sign of the presence of God going forth to bring healing in people's lives. I am praying and believing that in this message it will be followed by signs and wonders by the gifting of the Spirit of God that will touch your lives with healing, first of all, in the depths of your soul and also to bring healing into your bodies where you are suffering impediments and hindrances to, that would stop you from a greater expression of service unto God while living your life in this world. Present your bodies a love offering unto him and let him touch you and heal you so that you can do more for him. And may it be so in this message that I give. And when I give these messages, I just spend two hours, pardon me, not two hours, a half an hour on <clears throat> the two chapters that I received by lot. And then I speak not knowing what I'm going to share. I hardly know. I try to get, it, get the theme from it. And so that's what I have today to share with you as well as I'm going to touch on the chapters because I today is Wednesday I didn't speak on Tuesday so I want to touch on what I received yesterday and also because the one I got today one of the chapters was the one I got on Monday so God is emphasizing something more from that particular chapter and so we will go into that right now and begin to just receive what God is saying by his spirit so back in Monday, I received Psalm 64, which was about basically the arrows of the wicked, with, which are words that they use to falsely accuse those that know God and so on, the righteous, in order to bring them into destruction. And that was quite a powerful message I gave. And of course, the other one was also about arrows, by the casting of Lot, but this was the arrow that was used to kill Saul, who shot with his mouth an accusation against King David, and David had opportunity to kill Saul more than once, but because he had such reverence and respect for authority and leadership, refused, that it was anointed originally of God, refused to do it when he could have, and he could have been king. No, he said, if God wants me to be king, I'm not going to become king because I tried to get into that position. No, I will work with a heart of love and purity whether God wants me or allows me to be king or not, and I will show love and respect. And so that was that message. And then on Tuesday, I received by the casting of Lot, Zechariah 7 and Mark 8, and in both of those chapters, it's about people fasting. In Zechariah 7, it is about people fasting, but they are just religious in their fast, and they're not really doing it unto God. They're doing it more out of their own practice and habit of ritual. So that God is questioning them, saying, did you really fast unto me? And of course, the obvious answer is they didn't. And he was reproving them in this chapter for their hardness of heart that they were just merely religious in their own self-righteousness. And so he says 
in that chapter. Yea, they made their heart as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came great wrath from Yahweh, the original meaning of the word, the ultimate reality, from Yahweh of hosts. Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried, they would not hear, so they cried, and I would not hear, and so on. <clears throat> and the land was left desolate. And on that other chapter there, which I received yesterday on fasting, there is a contrast, because here you have a case of fasting that is the opposite. And we read this in Mark 8, 1 to 5. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto them and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days. They were camping out overnight in the wilderness. I don't know. I mean, in the Mideast, it's very warm. I suppose you could probably even sleep in the open air with no problem. I remember doing that once in California when we were on a mission to trust God and faith and we went out on our bikes and we slept overnight with no tent or anything, just on the grass in a park. And we just ate walnuts because we didn't know where our food or anything was going to come from because we were only given $5 each. But God provided in an amazing way. But anyhow, and uh, that was with the Agape Force many years ago, um, back in the 70s, early 70s, I believe. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from afar. So here they are, they're listening to Christ, and he's sharing with them all day, for three days. Wow. Probably, probably with powerful miracles of healing, and so on taking place. They were so hungry for God, they didn't care if they didn't eat for three days. They didn't probably even have water. Maybe there was a brook nearby. Can you imagine? This is a contrast with those that were just fasting out of mere ritualism. These people were really hungry. What quenches our hunger for God is loving this present life. Loving the things in this present life so that all our focus and all our priorities and all our energy are being given towards seeking some temporal fulfillment instead of our ultimate everlasting de destiny. And many of the people, in essence, that have died, highly verified by medical equipment and doctors, to have been dead, some of them, even one for seven days, that's the longest, some for three days, but most, well, Dean Braxton for almost two hours, highly verified with medical equipment, and so on to be dead. But these people, they say, in essence, that your real life doesn't begin here. This isn't even your life. Your real life begins when you transition out of this physical dimension into that other superior dimension, which secular scientists describe as the fifth dimension. It's way superior to this one. I won't go into describing that. It's all in my book, Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which you can purchase on Amazon. My name is David Thompson, so look up Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, if you want to check that out.
But that's what they say, in essence, many of them. So what does God say to his people today? And I want to share with you what I received today by the casting of Lot, as I did not give a message on what I received yesterday, but I've touched on it now. So, I wanted a third chapter today because I got Psalm 64 just two days ago on Monday. God is wanting to say something, obviously, from that psalm. And so I got another chapter, 1 Corinthians 11. And indeed, there is a common message that I picked up in all of the, these three, three chapters. I've written it out here. It might not be accurate because when you speak into a microphone, I never had time to check it. But it says the common theme between these three chapters is words being used that cause division and hurt, which is out of irreverence and pride due to the failure to genuinely fear God. The genuine fear of God births uprightness and humility, which shows great respect not only to God, but to one another in actual deeds of love. It is the loves of this present world and of this world that hardens the heart, that causes insensitivity. God is calling us to be those that love one another. So I've taken down some verses here from Proverbs 27. It says here in verse 4 to 6, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Remember I preached on Monday about Saul, who was killed by the arrow. Now, the other chapter that I received today that I received on Monday was Psalm 64, which talks about the arrows of the wicked being words that are used to suddenly snare and take the wicked by surprise or the righteous by surprise, and put them in a bad situation, seeking to destroy them completely. And we see a lot of that happening today, don't we? If you're watching the right news sources, well, you can find those news sources on my website at ultimatemeaning.com and at loverealize.com. And it will be a shock, because the news sources there that I am telling you about tell the truth unlike what we see today because of an infiltration that has been going on for the last 30 years. And I won't say too much because I'm on YouTube about specifically those sources of infiltration. You can check that out for yourself. So it says here about envy. Saul was envious of King David because the women saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but King David is 10,000. And he said, what more can he have but the kingdom? And of course, Samuel had anointed David, saying that he would take the place of Saul. So they set many traps for King David and no doubt cursed him, as King David describes how he's been attacked with words. And so we go now, skip from Proverbs here for a moment, to the psalm that I got twice in the last 
short while. And it says this. After it describes the wicked seeking to destroy the righteous, and of course I mentioned the example of how a particular man under the reign of a very wicked king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, had his garden next to the king's and it was his inheritance and the king coveted it and wanted it and wanted to give him big money for it. But he says, I can't do that before God. That's not right. I won't do that. And so Jezebel arranged to have witnesses falsely accuse him when they came together to fast, to say, we heard this man blaspheming. And of course it says, if there's two or more witnesses that say that he was blaspheming, you're to stone him if they, you know, blaspheme God. But of course these people were wicked and these were sons of Belial or servants of Satan, which the congregation should have known so that they would not have believed those witnesses, but no, because the king wanted him dead so he could have his land. That's what happened. Well, that's an example. But here we have Saul, who's filled with envy. But what is God's response? But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. And all that see them shall flee away. What happened to Saul? Well, when I cast lots that day on Monday, I got the chapter where Saul was defeated. He had an arrow hit him, which was going to kill him. And he didn't want to die slowly. And he didn't want the Philistines to come upon him and humiliate him. And so he told his servant to kill him, but he was afraid to kill him, so he fell upon his own sword. What does it say here? So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. In a sense, his own tongue of his curse and his hate towards David fell upon himself when he fell upon his sword. All that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. The righteous shall be glad in Yahweh and shall trust in him. All the upright in heart shall glory. So how does that fit in today? Well, the other chapter I received, wanting further enlightenment on things today, because in Proverbs 27, we see this about envy. And we see that envy is worse than anger and outrage, which was the case with Saul. The reason it is worse is because when a person is envious, envious, they're not just flying off their emotions. They're thinking of subtle ways to destroy someone else in their envy. We go on in Proverbs and reread this before we get into 1 Corinthians 11. My son be wise, make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. This is an exhortation for children to choose to be wise. And what is wisdom? It is the right application of knowledge. It says that wisdom comes by the fear of God. What is the fear of God? It is a reciprocation of the ultimate reality of who God is, which is this ultimate perfection of love 
first in its integrity, that will not tolerate what is contrary to love, that will not tolerate corruption, that will not tolerate that kind of thing. It is easy to become distorted and have an idolatrous, monotheistic perception of God like Cain had. That's why he ended up bringing an offering of his own self-sufficiency and righteousness of his own sweat of the brow, instead of acknowledging his need of the mercy of God like Abel, who brought an animal sacrifice representative of his sin being placed upon that animal, and of him recognizing that God was the only source of forgiveness in that. Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so Abel kills the innocent lamb. And God clothed Adam and Eve with an animal skin because it was representative of their need because they saw they were naked. Why? Because their eyes were open and their eyes were open because they fell. And I don't have time to get into that. That's a big topic. Another topic. What I'm pointing out here is the genuine fear of God is a choice that involves a deep turning from the heart to acknowledge the reality or what ultimate reality could only be. And that is what aligns with your conscience. The conscience innately knows that for there to be good, what is corrupt must be judged. What is evil must be judged. And that is ultimately pointing to the ultimate good, which is this quality of love that is so integral and pure that it will not tolerate the slightest that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. God's love is a consuming fire against all that is corrupt, all that is contrary to love. It is what ensures that there can be a destiny of goodness that is ever enlarging and pleasures of creative fulfillment that you can experience according to your own uniqueness of how you would love to express yourself in creativity before God and others forever. Go on and we read. And so he's saying, my son, be wise, because wisdom is the right application of knowledge. If you do not have a consistent source of knowing what is right and what is wrong from who God is or of being able to bounce off of in kind of a communication as to what is right and wrong from that ultimate reality. And you bounce off, of course, not in rebellion, but in a way that responds in humility and love towards God to obey and do what is right. Then you apply knowledge right. You cannot apply apply knowledge properly if you do not have a consistent source of reference for what is right and wrong. And so that is what wisdom is. And the exhortation is to you and to me to enter into the genuine fear of God that we would be sensitized to what is pure love and pleases God and what is pure love towards our creative beings and friends around us. 
so that we treat them likewise with great reverence and respect. You see, when you really love someone, you don't treat them as common. You're not insensitive. You're not hard-hearted. You're so sensitive, you want to do everything to be sensitive to what would please them, to what would honor them, what would show respect to them. That is the genuine fear of God. God is saying, my son and my daughter, don't allow the enemy to bring blaspheme my name by living a life that doesn't represent me and who I am, by being insensitive and unwise because you're seeking your own ways. What is the crux of what causes a person to go in a direction closer to God or to fall into the trap of mere religious self-righteousness that holds the truth and unrighteousness. Christ said, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? The crux of it is found in Romans chapter 1, where it says that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. But they became vain in their imagination. So we can come to know God, but then fall into the trap of knowing God and not returning genuine thankfulness to God and appreciation. That is why it is so important to abide in God. As it says in John 15 and John 14, abide in me and, and uh, abide in me. Let he says that you should abide in me because the branch cannot bear fruit except it abide in the vine. Without me, you can do nothing. There isn't a, an intimate love-faith relationship of dependency in God. In, that's the secret of abiding. It is the secret of the genuine fear of God, which is the secret of an intimate relationship with God. This is evident from Isaiah 33 that says that concerning the Messiah, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Even in the triunity of the one true God, there is reciprocation and thankfulness. The Son thanking the Father and reciprocating the Father and wanting to show love back to him. There's this triunity of love, of interfellowship in the oneness of God. Great mystery, because there is only one God. But he has to be in three personages, like I said, to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence. We go on here and we read, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. Never satisfied. You know what never satisfies? Is the loves of this present life, whether it be some pleasures that you are caught up in, whether it's sports or adventure or sex or whatever it is. If that is your focus, if that is where you're spending all your time and energy, there's so many people that call themselves Christian these days. They spend hours watching sports and they never pray and hardly see God. Do you think that you are glorifying God and showing thankfulness to God? When you're caught up with a focus on temporal things that have no profit, God has given you uniqueness to do things that are very creative and fulfilling to you that can be profitable to others. 
Seek those things. The Bible says to redeem the time because the days are evil. And we know that the ten wise virgins that are ready for the coming of Christ are those that have the extra oil. And if you're not redeeming the time, how in the world do you think you have the extra oil? Hell and destruction are never full. And a person is never satisfied, as it says in Jonah, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. As the finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. Though thou shouldst bray a fool and mortar among weak with a pedestal, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Let us not be those that are so stubborn in our hearts that we are like someone that even if they are chastised, refuses to see the truth. Christ says that if you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is cast forth and withered. He also mentions in that passage in John 15, or it might be 16, I forget which, he mentions that if the tree doesn't bring forth fruit, you're to dung it around and to dig it and so on so that it might, and then if it doesn't, it goes. You see, God wants us to have an intimate knowing of him because it is out of an intimate union of love fellowship where his presence dwells in us in a greater and greater fullness that comes fruit unto him. It may not be visibly seen in the physical realm, and it may be in many souls coming to Christ. It's a matter of what God is calling each of us with our unique gifting to do. I could go on and read a lot, and I got a lot out of this proverb, and maybe I'll come back to it, but I want to go to 1 Corinthians 11, 18 to 27. Because what is coming out in this chapter that amplifies on what we're talking about is reverence, which is a very important aspect of the genuine fear of God. Because if you really love someone, you, as I mentioned, treat them not as common, but with great respect. It is contrition, it is reverence. And so we read here about the church coming together to have communion. But they were totally insensitive. And Paul the Apostle says here that because you but he says you're coming together and you're having your meal and some people are poor and you don't give them any food. And then you have this little short communion about Christ in the midst of it all and you don't even give them wine. He says that's the reason many people are dying in your midst is because you're not showing respect to Jesus Christ and even to each of those that are his children. You don't have the genuine fear of God in you. He says when you come together and have communion, don't you do that. You come together with great reverence and awe. That's what he's basically saying here in this chapter. And he says here, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. A very serious thing. 
Now, this chapter has a lot more in it than just that part that I pasted there. If you look at the other part that I have pasted up here, it says, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there may that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, for there must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating everyone taketh before his own, and of course I described that. But let us just go to a little bit more of what is in this chapter in Corinthians, which I have to go back to, hopefully I can get it. There it is. At the beginning of this 1 Corinthians 11, he talks about something that has to do with relationships with one another and showing reverence and respect to one another. Obviously, if we do not have the genuine fear of God in us, we will not show respect to one another like they did when they had the communion. This is where, as it says in Romans 1, when they glorified, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations. And it is what has caused apostasy from the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve. You can go to all the tribes, there's a book written, this was before the missionaries spread around the world, that describes all the traditional songs of these headhunting tribes and many other kinds of tribes that they studied and wrote down all their songs. They all talk about Adam and Eve, many of them. They talk about the fall. They talk about, oh, one time we worshiped the one true God. But now we fell away from God and we worshiped these demons. And they talk openly and they sing openly about this in their songs, these savage headhunting tribes. And some of them, many of them talk from every part of the globe, whether it's South America or Africa, they have in their songs about a worldwide flood. And a few people that were saved because there was a worldwide flood. All the evidence is very strong in all the ge geological formations that you see. And that is something evolution just does not fit properly into, but the flood does. Well, I'm not wanting to get off topic too much here. What we have at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 11 here is, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now, he's just making a point here. He, he's not saying you have to be this way. But every woman that prayeth or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now, a woman looks a lot more beautiful in long hair. That's obvious. I know I'm far more attracted to a woman when she has long hair than short hair. I mean, unless I'm, not, I'm talking about like bald. I'm talking about super short. A woman that's got hair down to their neck or something, that can be just as attractive, no doubt about that. But there's something that Paul is trying to bring out here about that there's a certain order that God has created in his creation. It doesn't mean that the man is superior to the woman. No, there's just different gifts, different orders of function. But what he's emphasizing here is an understanding of, he's saying it's better for a woman if she has 
long hair to wear a hat. I mean, I don't understand the traditions they had back then fully. Because somehow it represented reverence towards God and towards the angels, as well as towards her husband, that she was treating him with respect and love and honor. It represented the order that God had established. It doesn't mean man is superior to the woman at all. In fact, it's clearly taught in the New Testament that in Jesus Christ there is neither male nor female, and there isn't. And Christ emphasizes very strongly that a man needs to have such a love for his wife that he's willing to lay down his life for her. And if there isn't that kind of love for your wife, then maybe that's because you're filled with the loves of this world instead of a genuine love for God. Because a genuine love for God will lay down your life, not only for your wife, but for your friends. It has to do with fear, the genuine reverence and fear of God. It's a sign of respect, of respect for God and for your partner. That's what it was in those days. I know we're not living in the same time now. I'm not saying, oh, you got to wear hats. Paul, is, Paul the Apostle also says here, so if any man wants to be make an issue out of this and be contentious over it, we don't have such a custom. I'm just saying, I'm pointing this out, Paul is saying, in essence, to show you the importance of having this respect and reverence and understanding of the order that God has created. The man represents Christ and the woman represents the corporate body of Christ. So he goes on to say, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man and the Lord. In the Lord, there's total equality. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. But he goes on to say, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame? Now, I guess generally speaking, that is the case. But a woman's long hair is her glory, and she truly does look attractive in long hair. God is calling us as his people in this hour to be those that return to the genuine fear of God, that repent of loving the world, that have hearts that are soft to receive the reign of God's Spirit into our lives so that we can be knit together in union with Christ and with one another to fulfill John 17 in these last days. I see I've been speaking for already 56 minutes. I want to emphasize that I have a book called God Headship in Body Invasion, which you can purchase on Amazon in Kindle or paper format, which shares everything that you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting that assembly. 
course, what we're talking about here is important. That we know such a deep love relationship with God and with each other. That there's no hardness between us. That there's great love and sensitivity and respect for God and for one another. May we enter into it and never go back to being the church the way it was because we are in an hour of grave crisis where we're on the verge of World War III and let's pray it doesn't happen. Where there's the possibility of mutual exchange. Let's pray it doesn't happen. That many lives are spared. This is a time as never before for the church to come together and to seek God in your city, in your town. Churches should come together and fast and pray for three days without food and liquid if you can do it medically, if you're younger and so on. But come together and seek God and turn with all your heart and never go back to this old pattern of just being used to going to church the way you've done it. God is calling for a new order in the churches throughout the world that will bring the fulfillment of John 17, this oneness, that will bring the return of Jesus Christ and a multitude of souls into the kingdom of God that will cause nations that right now are so insane with what is happening. I mean, if you're watching the true news, you know the insanity that is going on. It is so obvious that things are so corrupt that they cannot continue. Something is going to break. God is calling us to be those that bring breakthrough so that when the enemy comes in like a flood as the word of God says then the spirit of God will raise up a standard against that flood of iniquity of corruption that God will destroy if it is left unchecked like he did Sodom and Gomorrah like the worldwide flood when people are offering their children to demons, the sacrifices, which is happening in an ever-growing culture that worships Satan around the world and so on, this is the time to turn to God and wake up and enter your destiny as an individual and as the body of Christ. So thank you for listening to this message. And I appreciate your prayers and your support, even financially, as I am in great need of that at this particular time. Thank you.